In the name of Jesus, amen. Merry Christmas to all of you who have come here this night to celebrate the night of our dear Savior's birth. I know this is a very busy time of the year for everybody. Uh, You have a busy schedule. uh, You have food at home and plans tonight and tomorrow, uh, presents to open and people to see and places to go. But it is good. It is very good that you stepped away from all of it. Uh, to come here tonight, to come and hear what God himself has done for you. Uh, One of the most miraculous, astounding things uh, to ever happen. However, uh, you're also not alone. Uh, Obviously, everybody else in here did the same thing. But also this night, millions upon millions of Christians around the world are streaming into their churches and sanctuaries tonight. Uh, to sing hymns to God in all languages, to the God who has made man for us. Tonight, many people forget their poverty and they feel themselves rich because of what the Lord has done. Many forget their wealth and they focus on a better and truer and lasting treasure that will not fail or fade. Many of those who are sick forget their sicknesses, and they are filled with joy at what the Lord has done for them. I I think it's universally true, I'm speculating here, but I think it's universally true that every Christian regards Christmas, Christmas time, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, all of it, as the most beautiful and beloved and precious and dearest and joyful night of the entire year. I see people waiting for this, yearning for these days to come. And tonight is a beam of joyous light in the darkness of this world. With all that being said, I do want to remind you of something that's coming soon. And there is a time coming, maybe when you're taking down the tree, or cleaning up the house, or throwing the wrapping paper away or sitting at the table or saying goodbye, when you will be hit with disappointment, uh, when you will feel down at some point. It's what we call the post-Christmas blues. Um, After the great high joy of Christmas, there is a downtime that happens afterward. Uh, We become disappointed. And maybe that disappointment has already happened for you. Maybe it's happening even tonight. Uh, Maybe it will happen soon. But one of these days, soon after the highs and joys of Christmas, you're going to feel disappointment um, again. And it could be that things didn't go as planned this year. It could be because somebody wasn't there this year. It could be uh, because of a fear of what is to come. It could be because something got messed up, because there's strife, or because you just didn't feel the same happiness you did when you were younger or in years before. You may even feel apathetic or indifferent and empty and numb, uh, feeling like you're not feeling the right way. You thought it would make you happier than it actually did. And soon, 
the feeling and the joy of Christmas wears off. Uh, The question is, why does that happen? Why does it fade? Why does it go away? Why do we feel happy and joyful for a time and then empty afterward? Uh, Tonight, I submit to you that the reason that the reason for this is that we are trying to find lasting joy in the wrong things. That we're looking for happiness in the wrong place. The way, the way we celebrate Christmas is a microcosm. It's a, 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 a miniature version, a shadow of how we live our entire lives. Uh, and the truth is this, and this is the reality that hits us at that time, is that nothing Nothing lasts forever. Not the joy, not the feelings, not the presence, not the the time together, not the family, not the memories. Those things don't last forever. You can add ornaments and presents and events and get-togethers and people to your life, but all of those are just masks. They are band-aids for the bullet wound of this life. No amount of festivities or beauty or money can fix the problem. They just mask it for a time, which is why we get sad again. And then you do it again, and then it happens again. And the cycle over and over and over again. A lot of people try to solve this problem. They'll turn to drugs. They'll turn to drunkenness. uh, Consumerism, thinking that just buying more things will make them happy. Medicine, whatever it might be. But there is, uh, mark my words, there is only one answer to this problem of fading and failing joy and emptiness. And that is the lowly manger of Christ the Lord. So to do that, I want to draw your attention to what you heard just a few moments ago in the lessons, what you even sang about this day. Luke chapter 2, verses 7 and verse 10, both of those verses. Those verses are happening at the same exact time. They're happening simultaneously. So when you get home tonight, you can look that up or read it. Uh, What that means is while the Virgin Mary is laboring and giving birth, at the same exact time, the angels of heaven tear the sky apart with light and make the announcement to the shepherds. So those are the two images that are happening at the same time. And it doesn't seem like much, but this is incredibly profound. This is incredibly comforting and a beautiful thing. I I want you to hold just both pictures in mind, uh, that of Mary and then that of uh, of the angels and the shepherds. And so the first one is that of Mary. I want you to hold the picture in mind while I review the text and just go through it. Uh, The first picture is Jesus being born. That is, God takes on human flesh. He is born a true, natural born in a true and natural way, a normal way. It's not some uh, magical thing that happened. He was born like every other baby is born. There's nothing special about that. His conception was special, but the very birth was not. It was a normal birth. And what that means is that his birth was not clean. It was not, um, he was born with all of the same pain, Uh, All of the same mess, the same amniotic fluid of a pregnancy and a birth. 
which isn't a pretty sight. He was born with all those very things. Even more, <clears throat> Mary gave birth to him in a stable. A stable. A, a stable is where filthy, stinky, outdoor animals live. That's where you put them because you can't have them in your house. You have to put them somewhere, so then you put them there. Uh, um, <clears throat> the cows and the sheep and the donkeys also were real at that time, which means that they smell exactly like cows and sheep and donkey. Uh, donkeys do. They, which means they also have real fleas, they have real insects, they have real diseases. There's real hair, they're shedding all over the place. The stable smelled like a stable, and because of that, the stable is not only the place where they feed, but it's also their bathroom. So there is manure all over the place. And Mary has to lay down in there and give birth to the Savior of the world, to give birth to Christ in that manner. And then when he's born, it, it's not even swaddling cloths, it's strips of cloth that are bandaged together. And then he is placed into what is called a manger. <clears throat> Nowadays, uh, we are so far removed from mangers. This would have hit the people, their, their ears, in a totally different way than it hits ours. Right? Nowadays, we have this beautiful little scene of the manger, and it's all clean and pretty, and oh, it's, it's such a cute little thing. Uh, but a, a manger is a feeding trough. Hay and food are put in there, in a manger, and that's where the animals come up. The cows, the donkeys, the sheep, they put their wet, slobbery mouths all over the food to eat there. And they never clean it, by the way. It's, you just slap it in there and they eat it. Uh, just a little perspective on this. Um, my family and I, we went to a place that had a petting zoo with it a while back. And there's baby calves and cows and donkeys to pet and all this sort of stuff. And it stank. It was awful. Um, and I was showing one of my sons how to pet uh, one of the calves, one of the cows. And as he's petting the little one, and I'm putting my hand out, uh, a bigger cow walks by, and I felt uh, this huge splat of cold glue, uh, or goo, that fell on my arm. And it was the mucus that was coming down from that one cow's mouth. Um, it was, I, I almost died, it was so bad. Uh, um, the, point, the point I'm making is that it is disgusting. It's filthy. Uh, and that is what's in the manger from several animals, from all time, from all, time all, uh, all of them eating from the same place and slobbering all over the same place. And then she takes her baby, her newborn baby, and she places him there because there's no other place to place him. I want you to compare this also to something else real quickly. Um, a little over a month ago, my wife gave birth to our third son, Sebastian, and we were in the hospital for it, and my wife was on a comfortable bed, and they put me in a really uncomfortable recliner, um, which wasn't cool. Uh, the nurses, they're wearing masks, they're wearing gloves, uh, everything's super clean. Um, they're clean sheets, they're sanitizer, there's a clean room, clean clothes for the baby, a bassinet, there's air conditioning and heat. Uh, there's dimmable lights, all that sort of stuff. And my son, 
came from me. And that means he was conceived in iniquity and brought forth in sin, as, um, as Psalm 51 clearly says. He was sinful and guilty even in his mother's womb. He was a mortal. He had no right to be born or exist, to be rejected and lost forever. And here, my son, full of sin and guilt, is born in one of the most pristine conditions. With AC, heat, warm water, and people congratulating us left and right. And tonight we have Jesus, the perfect and holy, sinless Son of God, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, the Savior of the world, born into the vilest and most lowly and disgusting conditions. The highest and most holy is born weak and lowly. We... None of us, I mean, and this goes for all of us. We all had a better birth than the Lord did. We would never in a million years bring a newborn into a stable, let alone put him in a manger. Uh, The cops would arrest us for this, for neglect or something. And yet Jesus is born in a stable, placed into a manger, and no one congratulates them, no one thanks them, no one is happy for them. In fact, they are looked at with disgust and with shame. And they're looked down upon. Now keep that lowly, lowly, humble birth in mind. That's the first image. And the second image is this, that while that is happening, at the same time, just a little bit away, the holy, sinless angels of God tear the sky apart with light. And they sing, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Because unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then immediately all the host of heaven appears with them singing, and they're singing praises. And so while Jesus is being born in these lowly, filthy conditions, the angels of heaven tear heaven apart and they sing, glory be to God in the highest. Those things are happening at the same time. He's born in the lowest way and they sing, glory to God in the highest. They say, and on earth, peace and goodwill to men, which is happiness and joy to men. This, this is remarkable because while Jesus endures the lowest birth, the angels cry out, glory in the highest. What are they doing? What in the world are they saying? Even more, God controls the universe. He controls all things. I mean, there's not a galaxy in, this, uh, in, in, in the world that the Lord doesn't control. Not a a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Father's will. Couldn't the Lord have simply arranged it just like he arranges the planets and all other things in the world? Couldn't he have simply arranged it so that Jesus would have a place to lay down? A place to be born so that Mary would have a comfortable place, a crib or something? And the answer is yes, of course he could have. But he didn't. And it's because he chose not to. 
And that means that Jesus intentionally chose that lowly birth. He deliberately chose the manger, which was the least of his lowliness. He chose the poverty. He chose the lowliness. He chose the humility, the shame, the indignities, all of the discomforts of this life. He chose a lowly birth. He chose to empty himself to take on the form of a servant, to be born in a stable. He rested in the lap of a poor mother. He hungered, he thirsted, he fasted, and his poverty increased his entire life. No place to lay his head. He was laughed at. He was mocked. He was mistreated by the ones he came to save. They stripped him of all of his clothing. They beat him. He was flogged. They spit on his face. He was despised and killed like a criminal. He endured the shame of the cross and he laid in a grave that wasn't even his own, one that belonged to another. And more than this, more than all of this lowliness, the spit and the, uh, the, the slobber and the manger and the stable and all of those things, worse than all of that, he took upon himself our sins which are infinitely more offensive and disgusting and filthy. Our transgressions are significantly, infinitely worse. And in all of this, the angels cry out, glory to God in the highest and peace and joy of men. And the question is why? Why does Jesus go through this? Why did he choose this? And the answer is for you. For your peace and for your joy. Because in his lowliness and poverty, you can clearly see your dear Lord and you can see all that he would go through, all that he would willingly endure to save you, to make you his own. Simply, he would go through all those things. He would open his veins and pour his life out through his wounds for you. And you can see all that he would willingly and gladly give up of the the joy and the bliss of heaven for you. There is no depth, there is no depth of lowliness or humility and shame that he refused to go through. There was nothing that was placed before him that he said, no, that's something I won't go and do. That's something I can't do. That's just too lowly for me. He endured it all. The son endured even more the father's wrath upon him himself for all of your sins. He did this on the cross and he satisfied the wrath of God against you and he made peace between you and God with the blood in his veins. He didn't refuse the crib or the cross. He suffered for all of it for your good to redeem you by his blood. God, eight pounds in a manger in flesh and blood was the only way to redeem you. This was the only way he could get to you. To absorb the sins of the world into himself and make you his forever. The reason this is the highest glory of God is because in that stall is the salvation of the world. What he planned and what he prepared from before the foundation of the world. Because of Jesus, that stable is more glorious than all the kingdoms of the world. And because of Jesus, that manger is more precious to us than all the world with its gold and silver. And because of Jesus, those cloths are more valuable than heaven and earth to us. 
God being born in deepest humility made that manger the center of the universe. And look at how highly the Lord thinks of you. Look, simply hearing this um, and knowing it is the joy of Christmas that never fades or falters. That is the joy that will not fail you. That is the joy that nothing can take away. And, and this is what we sing in this beautiful hymn. It's a Lutheran hymn uh, uh, by Paul Gerhardt. It says, O Jesus Christ, thy manger is. That's the title of the hymn. Listen to the words. He writes, O Jesus Christ, your manger is my paradise at which my soul reclineth. For there, O Lord, does lie the word made flesh for us herein thy grace forth shineth. O Christian heart, Whoe'er thou art, be of good cheer, and let no sorrow move thee. For God's own child in mercy mild joins you to him. How greatly God must love thee. The world may hold her wealth and gold, but you, my heart, keep Christ as your true treasure. To him hold fast until at last a crown be yours in honor in full measure. Before I end this sermon, um, I want to say one more thing quickly. And uh, it's that there are many of you I haven't seen here before, that I haven't met. And welcome uh, to Zion. Welcome to this church. Uh, some of you are here um, haven't been here in a very long time. Uh, welcome back. Uh, it is good for you to be here. And you should come again. And you should keep coming to church. Uh, but I'm not saying this to guilt trip you into coming. Um, I'm saying this to lay before you the reason why the rest of us do. We come to church not out of habit or obligation or compulsion, but we come because we want the joy of that holy and beautiful gospel preached into our broken hearts again and again and again. And we never grow tired of hearing it, how much the Lord loves us again and again. When the happiness and joy of your life fades and when nothing in your life satisfies you anymore, when nothing makes you whole, um, come here, come back to church and you'll hear that he loves you with a love that is inexplicable, that is beyond words. And he will restore to you the joy of salvation however many times you've lost it. And so that you would have this joy not only for a night, not only one moment here in the year, but every week and every day. And as often as you hear this, and you will have this joy even when dying. This joy will not fail you or leave you. And to all who believe in his name, he will give eternal life. Dear saints, rejoice and be glad this night because God endured so much for you. He loved you with an unending and undying love, and he promised to cover you with a weight of glory that will overwhelm you in joy when his day returns. See what he went through for you. Merry Christmas. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.